I live in the American Gargoyle Building on West East 81st Street on the 11th floor. My name is Patruck Baitenswitch. I'm 27 years old. I believe in taking care of myself and a balanced diet and a rigorous exercise routine. In the morning, if my face is a little poofy poof poof, I'll put on an ice pack while doing my tummy crispies. I can do a thousand now. A thousand tummy crispies. After I remove the ice pack, I use a deep pore cleanser lotion. In the shower, I use a water-activated cigarette-infused cleanser, then a honey garlic pasta scrub, and on the face, an exfoliating tar and squirrel scrub. Then I apply an herb mint facial mask to my butt cheeks, which I leave on for 10 minutes while I prepare the rest of my routine. I always use an aftershave lotion with a bunch of alcohol in it, because alcohol makes you drunk and I like to start the day a bit fucked up. Then moisturizer, then a hyper-aging eye injection, followed by a final moisturizing protective force field sponsored by NASA. There is an idea of a Patruck bait and switch, some kind of abstraction, but there is no real me, only an entity, 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 only an entity. Something illusory, illusory, something luxurious. And though I can hide my corn maze, and you can shake my hand and feel my jammed fingers from basketball practice, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable, I simply am not there. Because I'm right here. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Bad, bad, bad. Science. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Bad Science. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and I am beyond delighted today to be talking about one of my favorite movies, American Psycho 2000's Christian Bale, Mary Heron's American Psycho. Uh, I have two unbelievable guests today. Usually, I, I'm not going to lie to you, a little peek behind the curtain here, I'm a little bit nervous. I've, I Maybe I don't know the guests or I'm intimidated, but I've spent time with both of you before and I know that today's going to be fantastic, no pressure. Uh, our first guest is Caltech's Assistant Professor of Cognitive Neuroscience who specializes in fear, Dr. Dean Mobs. Thank you. How's it going, Dean? Great. Yeah, I haven't doing seen you well. in a few months uh, well, now. I think, yeah, it was Halloween, I think, last time. Oh, just wow, you're right. Halloween, we yes, there, yeah. yes, yeah. absolutely. So that's uh, quick. <laughs> and of course, uh, pretty much my, my comedy dad over here, my which I'm a little offended that you haven't adopted me officially <laughs> as your son. Uh, but the paperwork's we'll, in. We'll get into it. Maybe you can diagnose my psychosis. Uh, it's five-time Emmy-winning comedy writer Tom Martin. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And I also specialize in fear. <laughs> What are you afraid of, Tom? I don't know. Everything? That's the problem. <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm so delighted. I've wanted you on the program for a long time, Tom. I know I've told you that before. But but... You found out American Psycho, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Who could I get? Who's the Tom when I fear? <laughs> um, yeah. So so uh, yeah. Give me your your take on the movie. I've always loved this movie since I was young. Uh, so so yeah. What if anybody can go first? Well, here. I'd say it's just a reminder of how great the '80s were. <laughs> I just miss those days when you could just be a raging psychopath and get away with it. (laughs) No one cares. The other thing I noticed is this movie got right is uh, how everyone talked a little bit and had the swagger of Dennis Miller. You know, like a okay. lot of like head bobbing, cha cha. Yeah. Let me tell you, you got less money in your four K than the blah blah blah. (laughs) Right. There was that attitude. Anyway, that's what I. One thing that stood out. 
this. No, idea. sure. I mean, I've, I'm I del- I'm delighted you're both here uh, because I was born in '88, so I did not get to experience the '80s. Right. And we were talking a little bit briefly before this about how this was a real. It really captured. Uh, what the 80s were like. It really did. So did you feel like that also? Yeah, I I, I, I think it definitely did. There was, you know, the Wall Street movie. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of, an, a, a, in some ways, even a parody of that. You know, it's the extension of this psychopathic personality. And, and um, yeah, and in the 80s, the, you know, the Ferrari drive, it's all about image, the slick back hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is totally fits with you know the my perception coming from england of what, what a lot of americans particularly in new york were like yeah right. <laughs> and did you enjoy the film did you find yeah, it fun? yeah i've seen um, i've seen it a couple of times and uh i think um it gives a really good portrayal of what a kind of ceo type psychopath is mm-hmm. uh, and a young ambitious psychopath yeah. and i think it really captures captures that and and uh, and you know, for me, it's like it's like the mo- the character is a molding together of Ted Bundy and Donald Trump Jr. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's totally. Good call. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think Christian Bale does an absolutely fantastic job in it. Oh my know? God, Christian yeah. Bale is so good in this movie. One thing oh, that I thought they did really well is distinguish between a murderous psychopath and just your run of the mill. Uh, sociopath, you yeah. know, like a lot mm. of these guys are full on sociopaths or at least have become conditioned to act like one. But there were a few instances where Bateman, the main character, went too far and even the sociopaths went, hey, easy. <laughs> a stick. Whoa, dude. You know, so they, I think that was really interesting because a sociopath may not quite be a murderous psychopath. They may not have empathy or they may be selfish as shit, <laughs> right. but they're not going to put anyone in their refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was one of the main things I wanted to talk about today is the yeah. difference between all of these terms. Because yeah. I started to research and there are like, certain things I recognize, uh, narcissistic personality mm. uh, disorder. There was another... Uh, I have too many notes today. Usually, it's I feel like I don't have enough notes, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm like panic. Yeah. There won't be enough, and today there's just so much I wanted to ask you about. But uh, but yeah, I mean, what narcissistic personality disorder, malignant narcissism, borderline oh. personality <laughs> disorder, uh, a psychopath, a sociopath. So so could you maybe clarify yeah, some what of did that he for have? us? Yeah, I mean, he's clearly a psychopath, and uh, the, the the psychopath uh, is. Typically diagnosed with a psychopathy checklist uh, developed by Bob Earp in Canada. And this is a 20-item uh, scale in some respects. And and he characterizes many of those components. I'll, I'll get to the difference with the sociopath in a minute. But what he really characterizes is this glibness, this um, self-righteousness, this immoral behavior, this lack of empathy. That, I think, really is what you see sort of like in a... In a, in a, in a um, in a psychopath, a sociopath um, is a term that's used interchangeably with a psychopath, but really more to do with um, when an individual is somewhat like Patrick Bateman. Like you were saying, the difference between the you know the difference between the kind of the, the sociopath of his friends and then is the psychopath, and I think that's a really good characteristic of what the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath. That you know, a psychopath is the one that you you, you do anything. You block them; they'll do anything to stop you. In some respects, they'll kill you. You know, right? right. Um, and the sociopath is your classic CEO. Is the more of the sort of the controlled, 
guy who treats people very, very badly. I'm not going to say that there's a guy who's in the president's <laughs> office at the moment. He does this. Right. But it's, it's actually a pretty good example right. of what a, what a sociopath is. It's somebody who's, who's got charm. They can manipulate people. Um, and they have uh, uh, different morals from the rest of us, you know. Mm. Um, they can treat everyone the way that they want to treat them, but if you treat them that way, the same way, they'll kill you. you know? Right, right. Or they'll do everything they can to um, impede you in some way. Right. So that's the difference. And then narcissistic personalities, um, you know, these are all interchangeably in some respects. You, you, uh, you're going to see some aspects of narcissistic personality in, in, the, psych, in the psychopath. Bit of a Venn diagram going on here. Yeah, 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 exactly, okay. yeah. And narcissistic personality, again, is, is somebody who's just – you know, everything evolves around them. Um, and, you know, I guess, like I say, it's, it's, it's sort of interconnected with the, the psychopath and sociopath. Mm-hmm. Do each of these uh, characteristics or disease, I don't know if you call them disease, disorders, uh, do they, do they, how much do each of them know what they have and how much do they struggle with it? Because it seemed like the fact that we could identify with this character for an hour and a half proves he is human enough like us because he's struggling. And there were times where he seemed to be wanting to connect with people or or wanting to access regular human emotions, but couldn't. Like, do, well, how much do they the, know? This, well, it's a good question. The science behind it, you know, it shows that, well, by Adrian Ray and others, it shows that when you uh, give somebody a, a psychopath and electric shock or a startle response, a loud startle noise. This, in everyone else, most normal people will cause a skin conductance response, an autonomic nervous system response. It's flat in them. Wow. So you think Whoa. about this, that, and then people have prefrontal damage from a very young age as well, which is the sort of more rational part of our brain, the brain that really picks upon the social components of our environment that are important, things like guilt as well and things like that. Um, you see with, the, uh, with, with these as well, is they've really failed to learn the rules. You know, if you think about it when you were a kid, your parents told you off when you did something wrong. That's not a very nice way to speak to someone. Mm-hmm. And you'd be upset at that, you know. Um, you imagine if you didn't feel upset at that. And actually, you may even get some joy out of it. <laughs> right. Wow. And you're developing like that, yeah. you know. So it's a developmental disorder, clearly. Um, and there's clearly some genes as well that are associated with that. These are, right. Because yeah. they specifically chose not to go into his backstory in his childhood very much or at all in the movie. I don't know if they did in the book, but I did wonder, how did he get this way? How much is nature? How much is nurture? Right. And, uh, I mean, there's clearly uh, a genetic, uh, okay. you know, uh, nature component to it. And usually, you know, there's some people out there, there's just a simple algorithm of, of how you create these people. And it's basically you have the template there with the specific sort of genes that people have these uh, uh, dopaminergic genes and serotonergic genes in, in the, uh, I won't go into the details about that, but um, that we have different expressions of genes as, um, as associated with our different, ex- which are associated with our, with our expression of neurotransmitters in our brain. So for example, like the psychopath really needs to, uh, really needs to um, really push the boundaries to get any thrill out of anything. So that's mm-hmm. why they do these, sometimes um, do these crazy behaviors or they kill someone because it's the only way they can feel like us. Right. You know, what makes us happy when we see a cute picture of a puppy right. or a loved one yeah. activates these dopaminergic systems, these reward systems in our brain. To them, it's nothing, you know, it doesn't mean anything. They're not getting them same reward signals in their brain um, as, as we do. So, that's um, so sad. It, 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 well, it, it kind of is, but 
you know, um, they do have insights into what they do. They do know right from wrong. Mm-hmm. They just don't care. Wow. That's the key thing. Yeah, because if you notice in the movie, he would get giddy when he was about to kill someone. He almost became like a Jim Carrey character. He was over-animated and excited. Yeah, that famous- Kind of his body uh, was wiggling funny. The famous scene. Well, he always plays this pop music, which really gets him into this great mood. And then there's that famous scene with Paul Allen where he's like essentially dancing. He's really getting into the group. He almost like moonwalks at one point, and he's yeah yeah, really getting off on that. what was it? Huey Lewis and the News? Huey Lewis and the News. Okay, here's my- Can I tell you my theory? Please. Here's my uh, freshman college analysis. Yeah, um, and speaking of that, I really have to mention here, Tom did nine pages of, of notes. Tom has so many notes, so much more than anyone else, so much more than me. I usually have like three to four pages of notes, and Tom sent me at 12.30 a.m. last night. Font, in case I need to read them. I get, I get this email from Tom of like, uh, I hope this is okay if you could print out these notes. So many. So I, I know that this podcast could go five hours. Easy. But Tom, yeah. I'm just pulling mine out of my butt. <laughs> you're good. That's because, that's because you're smart. I need crutches. No, same. I'm a schmuck. I have to read off uh, these things I found on the internet, which most of the time are wrong. Uh, but anyways, you have a theory. I okay. want to hear this theory. So I thought it was interesting that the way he discussed music from an analytical point of view, he analyzed music. He wasn't listening to music. <coughs> right. In the same way that he couldn't feel empathy or feel the human condition in the same way. Human, The human experience is meant to be experienced and lived. And music is meant to be listened to and enjoyed. But he didn't listen to and enjoy music. He analyzed mm. it. He was, he was searching for some... And he wasn't wrong about the analysis of it. But like Kanye West isn't good at analyzing music, but he's pretty good at making music. So analyzing music and making and understanding music aren't necessarily the same thing. What do you think, music guy? Yeah, well, I was going to relate it back to when he was in the restaurant, another scene that we spoke about where he's talking about, he gives this like very presidential sounding speech about what he, uh, I can't remember the other guy's name now, but he says something about Sri Lanka where he's like, well, it doesn't, Sri. we have bigger problems in Sri Lanka. And then Bateman goes on this whole tirade of like, these are the things that are important and it's stopping terrorism and it's feeding the homeless right. and it's what and it sounds like well yeah these are all you're right like these are all good humanistic points of view you know philanthropic sounding things but there's also a side of it where it's like are do you actually believe any of this are you feeling any of this and you Empty. get that feeling with the music too where he's talking about Phil Collins and Whitney Houston and he's delivering it in a way where you're like yeah this is all spot on analysis of music but how much is he really enjoying right. the, the, you know, he, he listens to a, I think a Robert Palmer. Uh, yeah, he's Simply listening. Irresistible Simply in the Irresistible on the way to Reese Witherspoon. he's not like, he, 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 there's a voiceover where he says, I think, I'm, I was trying to enjoy the new Robert Palmer album. Right. You know, but but he's not doing, he's just sitting there like staring out of a window, taking it in, almost mm-hmm. like you're saying, hey, very analytical. Right. But, it, but yeah. not just rocking out. Like, I you know, I'll put on Blink-182 and I'm not thinking about anything technical. I'm just right. rocking out. I'm feeling it yeah but i think i think it's a very good point i think the way you can think about this that this could be an alien mm-hmm. and this is an alien that's trying to understand human nature yeah and it's trying it's trying to it's using music as a way of trying to understand what is it what's this feeling that they what is this emotion what is it you know yeah and and music is the way that, that we listen to it it evokes emotionless we listen to other people's emotions in music so you can think about it as an alien it's really interesting from um a psychological empathic perspective because they do separate empathy into two components which is the cognitive empathy and the emotional empathy and it's very clear that the emotional empathy is is is, is psychopaths don't do not have it mm. 
But, you know, the research has been shown they do have a cognitive empathy. They, under, they understand other people. They understand other people's states. They just don't mm. get the feeling states that we get. And that's probably also why they're pretty good at manipulating us mm. because they can use that as more of a logical way of like, I know what you're thinking, I don't, mm. you know, or how, um, I, I don't feel what you're feeling when I see you in pain, but I can logically take this apart and, right. and, and understand that it's something negative, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's almost like you could think they could, could have actually wrote this as as he's an alien that comes to another planet and just has to drink the blood of other human beings and you know, right. you're right yeah right. it wouldn't have changed yeah. that much yeah. about what's going yeah. on well it was a little like your discussions of some of the AI movies where these AI humanoid things are trying to understand human emotion yeah but they really can't quite get it yeah and he is like an alien in that way and the scary thing is that he is a percentage of the human population <laughs> Luckily, yeah what percentage yeah. of the human population uh psychopaths sure i think it's something like one percent or something like that oh okay like, yeah, that's reassuring yeah, that's yeah, nice yeah, yeah, I, I had yeah. some uh, i looked yeah. up some it says serial killers five out of six are male they come from tough oh, upbringings. Yeah. Yeah. Most are not brilliant. They're like underachievers. It's yeah, you a... have the unsuccessful psychopaths and the successful ones. There's this work, work on this as well. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and then, uh, but then I, I read it said one in 150 people are psychopaths. Yeah. And that most of them are criminals. So you, you have to um, consider what the definition is of a psychopath. Okay. Um, usually with the, um, with, uh, the psychopathy scale, if you score above 30 out of 40 in it on the on this uh, classic scale that, as I mentioned earlier, Bob Air created, then you're defined as a psychopath. But there's varying different degrees of being a psychopath. For example, Ted Bundy scored 39 out of 40. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, what, what's the name of that scale? One more time. Just the right. psychopathy. Uh, uh, the guy's in name. Virginia. Yeah. Uh, Bob Air. Bob Air. Yeah, okay. He's at uh, uh, um, University of British Columbia. He might be retired now. Okay. But um, how do you take this? Test or do you an analyze? You have to be trained on it. For um, oh. um, I actually took the course on it up in San Francisco about fifteen years ago now. And what'd you score? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't, he's twenty nine. He's fine. I did, I'm 29. Oh, well, that's the key thing. You see, that's what I'm trying to get back to. If you're twenty nine, twenty eight, twenty nine, you're not clearly defined as a psychopath yet, but. You're pretty much up there. Okay. Keep an and the eye key on thing you. is, and this comes back to the question about the difference between the sociopath and the psychopath, because one of the key things of a of a psychopath is parasitic behavior. Mm. You'll use other people to get something from them, particularly ah, financial. Right. And that's where a lot of the, the less smarter ones will be. Really, the the really smart ones will be the uh, will be the president of the United States of America. Right. 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 <laughs> but the, the less smart ones just live in Los Angeles. Yeah. And they'll <laughs> fi- yeah. <laughs> but they'll fi- <laughs> but they'll find. Victims, they find people who they can manipulate. And most of us just say, yeah, you're full of crap. You know, I'm not going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. We all know those types of people. But these are the sorts of people, you know, like, like um, Charles Manson. I mean, would you listen to that guy, this scraggly little guy, you right. know, he's like five foot two or whatever. <laughs> right. But he got these people who are educated to do bad things, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's another example of being at manipulating people and, yeah. and, and so on. Um, <laughs> so... You know, there's what what we, how we clinically define psychopathy is is there's a clear sort of cutoff, but you know, I think there's a sort of boundary sliding there. scale. Yeah. Here. If you're scoring closer to thirty, maybe yeah. twenty twenty five, you're still not probably a very good person to be around. You know, got it. Yeah. But you can't just take someone to like a CVS and do this test. Well, oh, so the 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 you have to take uh, a course. And then the course is basically you have to train for so many hours on this course okay. to answer in ways that you ask the question 
Um, you answer the, the way you ask the questions, um, the information you get about those individuals as well determines the score as well. Um, and oh. if you're not trained properly, you could miss, you know, well, you know, that person's a psychopath because they you think they score on this. But when... But, but I'm saying can, the person yeah. doesn't need to be trained that you're scoring. No, the teacher. The teacher. No, the teacher. Well, that's what yeah, I'm asking. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're yeah, trained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I could, know, you're I could to bring <laughs> you people and then you can analyze yeah. where are, they are. Are there trick yeah. questions like, where do you put your severed head? A, in the freezer. <laughs> a, in the refrigerator. <laughs> uh, B, in the backyard. <laughs> well, B, yeah, because it could be a trick question. The question uh, is to see if they go, what the fuck? <laughs> the correct answer is, who has a severed head? But if they answer B, you put the severed head in the freezer so it doesn't you don't stink. have to ask them any other questions <laughs> okay so i, I want to before we get into tom's uh encyclopedia of notes <laughs> and and my own notes because i know we can talk about all this forever i do want to distract us for a second and go on a tangent of just fun because i have a game here uh, what's more fun than psychopathy honestly it's so fun and i this morning was thinking i don't we don't need a game i don't have to do a game <laughs> it's just going to take away from information but whatever i i did make a game so we might as well do it and it's called i don't have to kill someone do I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, bring in the intern no no you don't have to kill anyone uh it's called do you like 80s pop and essentially i'm going to play you bits of a few songs from the 80s and i want you guys as, as quickly as possible are you, professor 47 okay i'm 54 this is <laughs> My wheelhouse. Okay. <laughs> I, I was hoping it was both of your wheelhouses. But uh, anyways, I'll play you a bit of a tune. Whoever chimes in first gets that point. Okay. As soon as you think you know it, I want the artist and the song title. It's not going to be some obscure American pop that wasn't it? In it's not obscure, <laughs> but it is American pop. Uh, yeah. Well, we got that. Well, we got actually, that. some of it. No, some, some, some British of it, in there. Some, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of it, uh, I don't want to give too much away. So I'm going to I'm going to step away. I'm going to play. Basically, we're like in my uh, bedroom apartment, and I'm just going to like yeah. play you stuff from the computer here, and you guys to chime in. Okay. Okay. Tell yeah. me what's up. Yeah. Okay. Here's the first one. Phil Collins. <laughs> I mostly listen to cool music in the 80s. This is the worst song I've ever <laughs> See, my girlfriend would know this, but I was listening to rock and roll. I know the song. I don't know. Is it Whitney Houston? It is. Oh, it is. Oh, he did. This is from that album he referenced, isn't it? Like four hits on this album. I never. You've got your nose asking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Answer was to give good love. Okay. Uh, Whitney Houston. See, I have and, never heard that song. Before. See, and if I and if I heard five seconds of it while driving, I would have pressed to the next radio station. <laughs> uh, uh, no comment on the. Uh, I'd like. I'm sure I could handle it now, but there were other social forces at work when you're 15. And what music? If my wife was playing that, I would say, "Turn this crap off." Now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's this one. Oh gosh, you'll know this. This is. Uh, uh, I love this song. Loved it since I was little. It gets me very hyped up. That's all I'm gonna say. Phil Collins, Genesis, <laughs> turn it on. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you got me. <laughs> all right. So this is, is this Genesis with Phil Collins? This or, is off Duke. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, turn it on again from 1980s Duke Genesis. Love that tune. If you don't know that tune, please go oh, check oh, it out. I just the other week. Actually, I'm surprised it took me so long. To right. Know. Oh, so it's sick. the pressure. It's the pressure. Well, also, I think it's the speakers from a computer. Like if we had oh. cool speakers yeah, from high I school. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> I'd know that Whitney Houston song then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
the news. news. I want a new drug. Who got a perfect score on the math SAT, by the way? <laughs> really? She drives me crazy by. No. Uh, that like that. Oh. I will I know when you said Yeah. <laughs> wow, it did sound a little bit like she tried. Yeah, it did actually. I was confused. Last one. This is Genesis. Leave my number. Pat Benatar? Wait, who is it? Uh, this is Jet. This is Phil Jen- Collins. Oh, okay, right. Phil Collins, sorry. It sounds a little number. bit like that was Phil Collins. Don't lose my That's number. A, yeah. oh, I think it's right. yeah, skewed way too British. <laughs> <laughs> I did ask for some British in there. He did give me some. I gave you some British. Uh, there was also- Rush songs. I would have got them all. Yeah. <laughs> Next time. Yeah. I wanted to pay a little uh, homage to the film there. Uh, also, I didn't realize I was watching some of those music videos, and they are hilarious. If you guys get a chance, watch those Whitney Houston that How Will I Know music video is so funny. You're talking to, me. to two guys that grew up in the eighties. We were there. So funny, but looking back on it now, I think it's so much funnier because back then it's probably like, oh, this is like new and hip and kind of cool. But now it just looks so dated. Yeah. And the Phil Collins ones, for some reason, he like there's at least. 30 seconds to a minute of almost every music video of his where there's like a it's like a movie there's like a yeah. scene he's talking right. to people they're making jokes hilarious highly recommend yes. uh, everybody go check that out um, okay the huge question that people have about this movie afterwards was if it was in his head or not right. did he actually kill people so I want to put it out to you guys and then I'll give you my uh, theory my take on it right yes I think my feelings is that he did but wasn't he lost a little bit of track or a grip on reality at the end for who knows why so maybe some of them he wasn't sure about and then the other thing that keeps me from being able to answer correctly is the mistaken identity element of it right did right. he kill paul allen or did he kill someone pretending to be paul allen did he go out to dinner with a guy who was pretending to be paul allen while he was pretending to be someone else and kill that guy while paul allen was in england yeah that was also and i just want to quickly mention how the movie was also so funny. I've always found it really funny and and genre bending, right? It's not just one. It's like a suspense, horror, comedy, mm, thriller. Right. Like, what the hell is going on in this movie? There was, like, the mistaken identity stuff is so funny and so on the nose. And then he has those lines about returning videotapes. Right. But, like, there's just really obvious comedic moments in this film <laughs> where if you somebody could die in a horrific way at any moment, but it's still, like... All that stuff was so funny. Anytime they're like, well, that's impossible. I just had dinner with him in London. Right. like, And they all look the same. I don't know. I You're thought right. that was very yeah. good. But anyways, did he yeah. kill anyone? Dean Mobs. I think it's difficult to say. I mean, it's clearly sold from the, the, the statement that he is. Um, but what, we, you know, what we, we do know is that a lot of psychopaths also have all these fantasies about killing people. And, and often a lot of the psychopaths will... Um, Emily Lee Lucas, for example, said he killed 100, 200 people, or whatever. It was a very large amount, but he only got traced back to about five or six or something small like that. Yeah, what um, a rookie. Uh, yeah, rookie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was clearly lying about it and had a fantasy about doing it and, and that. So it's sort of interesting that is this part of his fantasy or is it real or is it a bit of a mixture of both? Yeah. You know, um, it, it, I think it's an interesting. Well, question. he became a different kind of crazy person at the end when the we hadn't seen any evidence of this to the point where the ATM machine asked him to feed a cat into the machine. That seemed yes. like a different kind of, I don't remember this, towards the end, he's kind of losing it. He's getting cash out of the ATM and the, he sees a cat and then the video, or the ATM says, put cat. Yeah, feed me a stray cat. Yes. Yes. And that was 
he didn't seem to be that he was delusional. Having, right. Mm. He was that all of a sudden, yeah, towards the end there, he's having like hallucinations and just weird. He like shoots the cop car and it explodes. Like, And he looks at the gun also like, what the hell is right. going on? I don't right. even know what's happening anymore. Um, okay. So, yeah, Brady Sinellis says that it's it's not about murder. I think his whole point is that like it doesn't actually matter if he killed anyone or not. Like he, he, he always had a problem with the film being a film in general because you in film there's answers like you see him kill people so that is like a definite oh he's killing people but in the novel it's a lot more uh what's the word i'm looking for you know uh in depth they go yeah yeah ambiguous okay it's a lot like you don't you're not sure what what is actually happening and that's kind of the point is that it's a statement on you know yuppie culture and identity melding and uh you know trying to stand out while everybody's homogenized uh so so I thought that was kind of cool, and I did get that feeling there towards the end that it almost didn't matter. Like he, I think one of the last things he says is that I, this means nothing. Like right. my confession means nothing. And so to to me also that was like a little hint of like, oh, I'm I'm here sitting here trying to figure out who he killed and what happened to the bodies in Paul Allen's mm-hmm. apartment. I'm trying to like solve the case, but in actuality. The whole movie's clearly not about a murderer. It's just about this whole, all these men that are like super power hungry and all about themselves and and superficial. That the the killing doesn't even matter. It's not right. about that. You know, it's just about them and yeah, how or fucked the up superficial they are. exterior. I thought they really put a nice button on the end by showing Ronald Reagan, who's like everyone's grandfather and <laughs> seems like a lovable guy. Yeah, but he is the ultimate example. Uh, representing a lot of politicians who can put that face on a crime that results in deaths of millions of innocent people right? or whatever it is. And that's what those guys are. They have a, a slick exterior and that hides interior full of mayhem and destruction. Yes. And I think Mitt Romney is a perfect example of that. Ooh. Mitt Romney is every bit the psychopath that Donald Trump is. If you look into Bain Capital and Vulture Capitalism, like his whole company is designed to go in and take over companies, buy them out and loot all the assets, fire everybody, and steal the pensions. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, that's what he does. That's what Bain Capital does. Damn. And that's what they do is these people do such terrible shit that the normal person can't even comprehend it. Right. They're just like, you know, we think about an axe to the head, but there's more destruction in what Bain Capital does to a company by throwing everybody out of their future earnings that Whoa. they worked hard for yeah. and giving it all to stockholders. My uh, my uh, friend was saying about he worked on Wall Street and he this one guy uh, came in and he basically, his job was just to fire everyone. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> Rough job. And uh, he, yeah, at the end of the day, he'd fired all these people in his company and he said he just saw him walking down the hallway whistling to himself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like a, it didn't matter, you know. No. And and the truth is, is that, you know, the psychopath is, is valuable in some sense. These are the people who, uh, a lot of the time will do the things that other people won't do, particularly within the social uh, realm. Mm-hmm. The thing that, right. that our morality stops us from doing things. They don't care about that. They'll do them. They have a function in society in some right. respect. They're here. Po- they're here. They've, they've, they've evolved. They continue to evolve. Right. You know? yeah. um, and they're here for um, a reason because there must be some selection pressure on that type of personality. But like you say, I mean, um, some people can can, you know, do something terrible like that, like Mitt Romney, but then come across as a oh, really yes. nice guy. You know, it's like, he's a, he's a, he's a good man. I, I feel like usually that's how it is, right? <laughs> right? I mean, they don't, 
I think it's more often than not that they're this charming, you know, fun-loving, good, you know, I'm here to have a good time well, and hang out. That's interesting about Donald yeah. Trump. If you compare side-by-side side Mitt Romney with Donald Trump, is people seem okay with Mitt Romney because he speaks a certain way and he's smooth. Yeah. But the difference is as far as how they feel about operating a business and really, and it's always good to remember the people in Wall Street don't care about you. For example, they busted some emails in Goldman Sachs where they refer to their best customers as Muppets. In other words, they're there to take advantage. They're there to take advantage of customers. Right, right. And the attitude in Wall Street is, if you're so stupid that we can rip you off, then you deserve to be parted from your money. And that's something you always have to remember with Wall Street, no matter how much they say otherwise. They're there to make money off the skim, and the more that they can razzle-dazzle and confuse you, the more they can skim. Damn. You know, I think that the Patrick Bayment character really you know, characterizes that type of individual that does exist in the 80s and still to, today. Totally. I, think, I think it's a real uh, good characterization of them. I mean, in some respects, it's probably a caricature of them. Um, you know, not many people are like that in the real world, but... Apart from the Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apart from the people I, I running swear. the government. Yeah, running the government. But Donald Trump Jr. to me is Patrick Bayman. I mean, some right. of the stuff that comes out of his mouth is is just like, this guy has no idea about real people because since he was born, you know, he's been having Michelin star meals for, for, for you know, delivered to him or whatever when he was in yeah. diapers, you know. Yeah. He has no idea what it's like, what real people are like. Can, you know? can I tell a quick story yeah. about, and this may not be true, I'm not telling you who told me, <laughs> but uh, a friend of mine went to uh, University of Pennsylvania with Donald Trump Jr. Ooh. And uh, one time, Donald Trump came by to pick up Donald Trump Jr. to go to a baseball game or whatever. And Donald Trump Jr. was just wearing regular college boy clothes. And Donald Trump supposedly... Take this for what it's worth. It's mm-hmm. removed three or four people from what actually happened at the time. Donald Trump slapped Donald Trump Jr. in the face and said, put on a suit. Whoa. <laughs> so, you Little know, like, who game. knows what? That's that's a fucked up family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's for sure. I wouldn't go to the game. I'd say, Dad, I'm not going to the game with you. I'm not going to the game. I have to wear a suit, Dad. <laughs> you <Yeah>, jerk. <laughs> also, so, stop beating me, I please. have a question about fear. And you mentioned mm. uh, this, uh, Professor Mobs, mm. uh, that... Uh, um, that the psychopath can't, you, you do that, you test the autonomic nervous system and they're flatlined if you do a loud noise. Is that also true with any fear? Do these guys not have fear? Yeah. yeah. So well, They show a reduction uh, in, in the fear. There's a bit of a, a paradox there in some sense because their personality is very self-protective. It's all about me and I'm willing, I'm the one who would, you know, if a, if a truck was coming, I would push you in front of it to save myself, you know. So that element of of, of uh, they clearly have some kind of idea about what is dangerous and what's not dangerous. It's just they don't have the bodily feelings of it. Right. And the, the real clear thing about it is, you know, they they can show certain elements of empathy. For example, they can really care about their dogs, for example. You know, their do- you know if their dog gets hurt, they're like, oh, no, that's really bad. But then they can go and kill someone, you know. Right, right. Um, and... Um, so they're, they're, able to, they're able to separate these cognitive and emotional components. Whether they feel the emotion is one thing, but they can certainly express it in a way that makes you feel that they're feeling it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they, um, so back to that question of fear, no, they don't show the same fear responses in the brain. They see a reduction in the fear circuits in the brain, regions such as the amygdala is, is sort of 
decreasing them. They show reasonably normal prefrontal cortex activity, though, um, depend upon the task. But generally, they do have pretty good rational insight into other people's behaviors and, and, and so on. So right. these are more of this cognitive, maybe the cognitive strategizing system, but the emotion that we feel is is missing in some respects. Yeah. Wow. So I have uh, some questions about that kind of stuff, hippocampus stuff, amygdala stuff, neuroplasticity. And before we get there, I have really stupid questions uh, that I wrote down while watching the movie that I wanted you guys to weigh in on that probably don't have any basis in science. I just wanted your take because uh, I wrote them down. So he describes at the beginning his uh, facial scrub uh, procedure. He has like all different types. He says alcohol dries his face out. He uses an anti-aging balm. I don't really know about this stuff, okay? I have I clean my face. I have a cleanser. So I just wanted to ask you guys if you do anything, if you've come across stuff that works for you. How oh, do you clean cleansing? your How do you clean your face? <laughs> <laughs> That's my question. Well, I don't I don't I'm I'm dry in general, and so I don't use any soap on my face ever. Where my, my wife is she can get acne. I never had acne, so she used oh. a lot of products. And I just, I don't use, I hardly ever wash my face other than in the shower with a little soap. So a little soap in the shower? Yeah, no product. No for products. Tom Martin. No products. Moisturizer because no. you're dry? No. I mean, if if it's super dry, I might, but okay. nah. Normally, you're a natural man. Yeah. Okay. Deep. So I, when I get up in the morning, I'll take the cucumbers off my eyes. <laughs> and then I, put my, uh, I have a face patch. And, um, <laughs> and no, I'm the same. Actually, <laughs> I just realized I've never washed my face. I just, <laughs> I just took it under the yeah, shower. Either, yeah. I get whatever falls off my head from the surf, you know. Is, Man. Is my cleaser, yeah, but I've never washed too. my face. Did you have acne when you were younger? No, no. Man, no. I mean, maybe you guys are just lucky or something. Yeah. I had acne when I was yeah. younger, and I feel like my face is just full of shit. <laughs> So I Would try to clean my face. Would you describe yourself as a greaseball? I wouldn't say I'm a greaseball. I'm a greaseball human being. <laughs> but I wouldn't say, uh, no, no, I don't know. I think uh, I just need to, I don't know, up my game. And I thought, oh, maybe I can take some advice from this movie. Seems to know what he's talking about over here. Uh, so I wanted your guys to take both of you super smart. So what do you use on your face? I have like a friggin' Trader Joe's uh, all-in-one cleanser, which I use. And then I, at night, sometimes I'll put some moisturizer. Like a little, like a lotion type thing, huh. facial lotion. I don't know because I heard you're supposed to do that. Hmm. And uh, yeah. Anyways, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. Lithium. He he recommends that this girl uses lithium, and so I wanted to ask you, like, what? Why would people use that? Do people still use it today? Because I when got I this hear, one, professor. Oh, please you take it. I'm about to, <laughs> no idea. I'm not oh, okay. Sweet. So we're all confused. I'm just thinking about like sticking a battery on your face or right, something. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. The, you know. He said it very nonchalant, and I thought, oh, maybe that was just a thing that has changed now from the '80s to now. But is that a, a, a pharmaceutical thing, or is it? facial cream no no it's like a, yeah pharmaceutical he was uh he was telling this girl who was like drugged out and like out, completely out oh, of the it, one he he's like, having an affair, an affair with? with yeah he told her in the car like why don't you have some lithium and some caffeine and you'll okay, really right, feel better right, and i was right, like what right. why it's do like people take that <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> yeah okay so anyway stupid question uh speaking of which Business cards. There's a few scenes oh, yeah. that are really into, and I used to have business cards when I was uh, when I was just trying to like get gigs and stuff. I would pass out business cards with my email on it and stuff like that. So I wanted to ask you guys if you had business cards. Do you still have business cards? Do you use that kind of stuff? 
No, and, and our business and my business, it just seems like you're only two people removed from the person that might eventually hire you anyway. So all they have to do is call is, hey, how much of an asshole is Tom? Can, can he, is he easy to work with? He's fine. All right, fine. So you're not going to really like, no one needs it. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows you eventually. But I think I have other thoughts on that business card thing, which was fascinating and how uh, it showed how this crazy bastard in that culture makes a big deal out of little things, mm-hmm. but didn't care so much about big things. It's the little details that sets them off. Right. The, the spoon on the table. Right. Talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've never had any um, business cards. Um, we We have the option to have them, you know, at work. But most people, you know, kind of. They look here. We have Google Scholar now, so there's there's things mm. like that where people can look you up um, and look at you know all, other, all that information about you. Um, but you know, you, I don't know about you guys. But whenever someone gives me a business card, it's almost like it gets stuck in my back pocket, right. and then you know, the next time you find it is when you wash your jeans about a year later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I always it always takes me back a second when I get when somebody hands me their business card. I'm like, whoa, what's right. going on here? Who am I? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I industry? Feel like there are certain like real estate is probably a real estate you right. need one or yeah. but maybe business these, cards. Yeah, these finance guys maybe if they feel like they need it to drum up business. I don't know. I just didn't know Plus if it was, it was also like still a thing. Yeah, maybe it was cool then because you needed it because everybody had like those Rolodex and you know address books and that it was all like this tactile shit. But right. I feel like now if, I don't know. I've I've been yeah, handed a business card a web, few right. times and yeah. it's always strange to me. Um, yeah, it's always strange to me. I always think like, why the fuck are you giving me this? You know, <laughs> yeah, like, give me something. I don't want it. Don't take it away. You yeah. Know? Is there something what, to to what Tom was saying about this like OCD type behavior with sociopaths or or narcissistic personality or psychopaths where like they he they cared obsess about over posters on tables and things getting messed up? Yeah, and... there's definitely like that component within this character. I wouldn't say that's a common feature of of psychopaths, but hmm. certainly what's important to him is about what he thinks other people think about him. Right, and that's the and it's the little things that he thinks that, that and maybe within that culture you're seeing it. They're all comparing each other's. Um, business, business cards. cards yeah and it's these small things but you know one of them comes out on top it's all competition you know so when you add that competition element to it mm-hmm. um, you know we uh, you know talking about that I mean what's an interesting study we did a few years ago with some colleagues in Japan um, is that what you find is that when people um, envy people more you get this um, so you have somebody and you, you discover that you know maybe You've got uh, the latest Tesla, what I really want, and I envy you for that, yeah? Um, and then I find out something bad happens to you. You know, you smash it up and, you know, you go in hospital. What happens is the more that I envy you, the more um, schadenfreude I get. So that's the enjoyment mm-hmm. at something bad happening to you. Whoa, right. So it's it, it comes back to this whole element that there's this the, – the, and what drives that is competition. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and this is clearly a very competitive culture mm-hmm. that, that these guys are in. Yeah, and it's the little things that matter. Just one, you know, the the gold might shine a little bit different on the lettering of the of the card. Right. This would just be one tick. Okay, I beat you. Right. I beat you. So, you know, within that culture, I imagine uh, that's more important. Are there ways to combat that? Because I feel like that happens on a micro scale all the time every business especially ours yeah exactly and and it feels to me like a little nuts like I'm a competitive guy if we're on the basketball court 
my friends will tell you, I really want to win. You know, I'm not going to yell at anybody. I'm not going to like pout. But when we're in the game, I'll do whatever I can to try and win this game. But when it comes to these like life things, like I'm not going to, you know, envy somebody for, you know, what they have. And I'm not going to get really uh, jazzed up when things go wrong. You know, it's just not part of my personality. But I do think it happens to a lot of people. And is there, I don't know, is there a way that we can actively you know, recognize it and try to minimize it. Well, within the field of economics and social psychology, is the, the, the social comparison sort of problem and equity aversion. You find out I'm happy in my job and I'm earning a certain salary and I've been working here for a while. And then you, you find out that your colleague is doing exactly the same job, same position, mm-hmm. is earning more money than mm-hmm. you. All of a sudden, the amount of money you have is, wait a minute, this right. is, I want more, you know. Yeah. So how do you get over that? Well, you know, you reduce the inequity aversion, reduce the social comparison by, you know, um, particularly social comparison by putting people into teams. You take away the competition. So it's like, for example, the best way sometimes to, uh, somebody you might not like very much, yeah, if you talk to them and then you start talking to them and then they talk about somebody you don't like and they don't like, then you start getting on with that person you don't like. Right, yeah. You share some, something. To, you share that, that hatred together. Right. And, oh, okay, yeah. we, we get on now, you know. Right. And then you go separate ways and you hate each other still. But right. but, it, but but actually, I mean, you know, this is a big issue in, in, in business and uh, leadership and so on about creating teams and teams of people who, uh, who, who work together. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see... But in this environment, within this movie, they're they're com- they're competing with each other. You know, right? You can have in, t- in group competitions, well as out in group out group competition. But um, it would be if you imagine they were all to work together on one project, and it was a su- success that they would all get the same amount of money mm-hmm. for that, and each the same the same gratitude for that. Then they, you would see a reduction in this 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 effect. You know. So I guess it's like the inequality that really bred like like breeds this uh, or perception of it. Yeah, right. The right. belief that you're. Would, in, have you heard that study with? I think it was chimpanzees, and I probably have most of it wrong. Where they give one group of chimpanzees a the, better treat than the other. The grape versus oh, just the, the grape yeah, thing. Yeah. That's and the, the inequity aversion study I'm thinking. So about, it yeah. goes yeah. deep. This. Yeah, go, yeah. This, this, is, this is shown in in all the economic. There's a lot of economic literature out there, but that study by Francis Dewar is basically. Showing that it actually goes all the way down to to this non-human primates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so there's nothing we can do. <laughs> <laughs> totally screwed. It's well, I, in I'd our like bones. to think we're a little bit more right. better well, than I monkeys. I think that's but. the lesson of sports. The reason, ideally, we put our kids in sports and we play sports is not to make the NBA or NFL. It's to learn these lessons about how you're competing for a position for quarterback or whatever or center. Mm. But if you lose out, you have to be ready to fill in for the benefit of the team. You know, right, these things right. are important lessons. It's not just to get yelled at by some neighbor's dad. You know, <laughs> ideally, you should learn these things and take them with you when you're not in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I want my son to be in the NFL Hell so yeah. bad. <laughs> Hell yeah. Get concussed. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. So he says, I'm joking a few times in the movie, which I don't know if you clocked. I'm sure you did. But yeah. He's uh, and it's after not, he says something a little bit too far when he, yeah, yeah, he says, What was he? I can't remember the lines, but he he's basically trying to make light out of a situation where maybe, yeah, he's like showing that he's a psychopath a little bit, and I'm joking, right? And so, I wanted to ask about that because you know, I'm obsessed with comedy and comedians, and if there's a part of that 
I don't know that like you know uh, gallows humor or you know like when we try to uh, cover up a feeling or a, or a neurosis or something with comedy. Do you think like that's a part of these people also? Do they have that tendency to you know reach out in some maybe creative way? Yeah, I mean, there's the old saying: many truth is made in jest. You know that when you uh, make a joke about something, then you're actually really saying what you really feel inside, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so there's that, that sort of element. There's also, you know, the, um, if they're, if people are socially nervous, you know, they'll, they'll, um, they'll, you know, we've probably all done it where you're a bit socially nervous and you say a joke and nobody laughs and right, you yeah. evil looks, you know? Uh, right. I've, I've done yeah, that quite a few times. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I'm, I'm joking, you know, like, yeah. If you guys had laughed, I wouldn't have said that, you know? But. But that's the sort of thing where this is like it's feeding off of their 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 um their emotions in some respects presumably right and realizing that this that this strategy is not not working so he's using it a way of kind of saying you know avoiding what he just said you mm -hmm. know um I don't think a lot of the time you really can but um but I yeah I don't know you know there is some work out there actually on on sense of humor. In, in psychopaths I can't quite remember the results but um, but I think that there's actually a lot of work out there on showing that when you show people jokes that are, are mean jokes for example uh -huh. um, you do get these differences that some people find it rewarding to see these mean jokes and others don't right um, right so yeah it's uh, it, it's I think there's a growing literature in that field so there's not really an answer to that from a scientific mm -hmm. perspective at least okay yeah can I ask you a question Please. along those lines there was a scene towards the end where there's this model and they start talking about mergers and acquisitions and he called it murders and executions right. which was his little one of his many jokes in there but then later when he's leaving with this model she says something that was really a bad judgment she said to him you're sweet yeah and it's interesting because it pointed out how people see what they want to see mm, and maybe yes. that's what sociopaths and psychopaths do is they help people see what they want to see in that person and then the next time we saw this model she was a head in the refrigerator in a bag <laughs> she misjudged his sweetness in a massive way yes turns yes. out he wasn't sweet no 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 <laughs> this is what ted bundy used to do you know he was a good looking guy and he would go up to attractive women he would say you know i've got a broken arm can you help me and you know play a bit of the victim and be charming and then once he got them on their own switch you know, the real person came out. And again, that comes to the manipulative nature of the psychopath, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Right. So. And did, wasn't he have a, Ted Bundy had a co-worker, a woman who just didn't believe it was him the whole time? Like he had that? a co-worker who, she wrote a book about it actually. Yes. And she, uh, he would, um, he would walk her home every night and he would say to her, I better walk you home because there's this, you know, killer and rapist around. Oh my God. And um, she didn't believe it for a long time. And, uh, and uh, quickly when the evidence came out, um, you know, she wrote a book about it. And you know, there was a saying that, you know, Ted Bundy, and I'm not sure how true this is, but there was a saying that if you spent more than 30 minutes with him, talking to him, um, he mm. wouldn't kill you, you know? Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, he, he could only kill, he, he found it easy to kill strangers, but right. people who he knew was more. Because this Bateman character, he didn't 
kill his long-term girlfriend. Yeah, he didn't kill right. most of his coworkers. He almost killed his secretary, Jean. But then right. that was a, maybe the most intense scene in the movie where he's got the nail gun behind yeah. her. And then they have that double entendre kind of conversation. I yeah. might hurt you if you don't leave. And right, she's right. just thinking of emotional hurt and rejection. And he's thinking, no, I'm going to chop I'm you to right. bits. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't want it. That made it, it was the most human side of that character in that scene because he was struggling. And self-control there. And she had asked mm. him before that scene, like in the beginning of that scene, have you ever done so- – do you ever feel like doing something nice for somebody? And in a sense, he did in that scene. His version of not killing her, overcoming his urges to kill her was – he behaved nicely by his standards. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And there was that great uh, voicemail, uh, which we don't have anymore, really. Everybody has cell phones. But those, you know, when you leave a voicemail greeting for somebody that it just plays, uh, yeah. I, I thought that was hilarious. I don't know if you guys yeah. right. have house phones anymore or if you missed that. I just, I remembered that, like, oh, yeah, when you left a voicemail for somebody, everybody listened right. to it who was yes. around. <laughs> you, you had to really think ahead of when you wanted to play your voicemail if you had people over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so wild, so funny that like it's such a personal thing you're getting a phone call from somebody and but I guess they knew also if they were calling you that this was going to be projected uh, right. through speakers but we I thought that was really funny quickly forget about those times I think right. <laughs> yeah. we, we were part of that um, okay so uh, yeah I have uh, I have so much stuff do you want do you I know I don't want to skip over your notes well, here I have, I have a question about like some of his quotes Bateman he said throughout like he said uh I'm not there. Oh, and I read a a, uh, a comment on YouTube where someone pointed out that when he was introducing himself in the first scene, he says, um, first he says, I live in American Gardens building on West 81st Street. Then he says his name. Right. After he says where he lives. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, he's like proud of, yeah, his. And he says a couple of other things about how. He says, I'm not there. He says, I just want to fit in. Yes. He's giving all of these hints about his inner struggle of the, I would say my interpretation of it is a vast emptiness he's feeling from this lack of empathy. Yes. And how he's compensating for it. Yeah. Uh, but he's searching uh, for a way to connect with it. And maybe when he kills that homeless guy, it's really fascinating because he's trying to connect with him on a human level, even though he's doing it in the most vicious, mean way. He's mm. like, why don't you have a job? You yeah. smell bad. Yeah. And then he goes, I have nothing in common with you. And then he kills him. But it seemed like at some level, he's desperately seeking a real human connection. Yeah. Yeah, and then it seemed like he was going to help him for a second. Right. You know, like he was just going to give him a bunch of money, or I don't know what. Yeah, really. Uh, but I, kind I, of a weird guy, I guess. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was weird. But it gets back to like, what is these these people with this disorder? What is their inner world like? You know, I mean, we. It's hard for somebody who doesn't have that, I think, to even comprehend. Mm-hmm what that emptiness must feel like, you know, like to not have empathy, to not have uh, the ability to feel regular human emotions, to not be able to care. Yeah. Because I bet if they were given a choice, they would select not to be a psychopath. (laughs) Of course. You know? Well, yeah, I I think that's an interesting point. I think, first of all, they probably, if you've never add those emotions you don't know what you're missing you know uh, right it's like a blind person doesn't know what, what it's like to see and they function in the world um you know in you know adaptive ways but um but going back to the first part is clearly what the, again what they're calling uh, economics uh, is uh, status signaling is okay i'm you know if i 
if I tell you where I live, that's going to automatically put you in a situation to treat me differently. Right. Um, And then my name comes. You're right. But if I say my name and then that, well, maybe you're going to be focused on my name and you're going to miss that I live on 81st Street or whatever. So that's clear that my... And everybody does state a secret, you know, from the watch to the car you drive, you know, to the app that you wear. Hendrick <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Automotive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys are impressed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are you a pit guy? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I run I'm the like, jack out there in NASCAR. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I feel so much envy now. <laughs> <laughs> Dean's a huge NASCAR guy. <laughs> Everyone from England but, is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but, um, but anyway, these things like state, you know, uh, the state of signaling and uh, I think really is captured in there because you know um from the, the patrick bateman character there's so much amazing psychology in that in that individual you know um and something uh, fitting within this sort of you know 80s uh, uh genre as well um so i think that's really fascinating but how do they you know would would a psychopath want to change well you know, it comes with narcissism. A narcissistic person thinks they're the best person that's ever existed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to want to change, you know. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, there, I'm sure that there are a lot of psychopaths out there who say, you know, I wish I could, you know, particularly after they've been caught for a crime. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wish that they could have changed their life and they didn't have these, you know. Uh, but generally, uh, I, I don't think that they worry about it too much. To tell the truth. Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the the narcissistic personality. I, w- I was reading just very briefly about neuroplasticity. So I was hoping you could maybe explain what that is um, and how it relates to abuse. Because uh, some people, I was reading a couple things about people that have like narcissistic abuse where they're in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist or, you know, they work with somebody or, or mm. whatnot. And so they were pointing to neuroplasticity as a way to like heal themselves as a way to like fix the, how well, their brain know, let works. Let me give you the simple example. Neuroplasticity is, is, is the development of your brain. You know, that what happens is that your brain develops at a certain rate. Mm-hmm. It's plasticity changes over time as you're developing. Um, and as you get older, that plasticity decreases. So we can learn things very quickly when we're younger. Right. It gets more difficult as you get older. And that's just an example of what neuroplasticity is. There's ability to change your brain in some respects, change the neuronal structure of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens is that, going back to psychopath again, that they're not learning from a young age because they're not getting these bodily feelings of, 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 of threat or guilt and so on. Mm-hmm. Then they're, they're learning, well, this doesn't bother me and I'm getting what I want, you know, and it's rewarding if I hurt somebody. So their neuroplasticity is changing um, for the negative. Mm. So when you're in a, um, uh, in a relationship with somebody who's abusive and so on, clearly this is going to change your the way that you perceive those individuals, uh, you're going to think, well, this is normal. It's, it's okay that if I bought the wrong milk to get a punch in the face, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, and people, their brains are changing for them and their cognitive uh, systems in their brain are changing for them to accept that type of behavior. And then when they obviously get out of that relationship, they're having to uh, change it again. So, mm. um, so neuroplasty is just a way of saying, oh, you change your brain within a given environment. And how plastic your brain is. Yeah. You know, some people just don't have much neuroplasticity, so they're narrow-minded. You know, they, there's, right. you know, this old joke, isn't there, that as you get older, your waist gets bigger and your mind gets smaller. Uh-huh. That's right. another example of neuroplasticity, you know. Yeah. Right. Well, you have to have a willingness to change also, yeah. right? It has to come from you having a Intrinsic drive. Intrinsic motivation to do it, yeah. yeah. And 
or some extrinsic motivation. But some things maybe you can't learn at, at a certain point, whether it's a certain pronunciations of languages that have to be before age 10 or whatever arbitrary mm-hmm. thing it is. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I think you're just out of luck in those kind of situations and maybe it has in other areas too. Yeah. I, I don't So I, I had some quotes that I wanted to, uh, some of the best quotes that get to my favorite part of the movie, which is his inner world. That we, so can I read a couple of these of things course. and then throw them to you guys Please. and see what your analysis is? Because at one point he says, I have all the characteristics of a human being, flesh, blood, skin, hair, but not a single clear identifiable emotion except for greed and disgust. <laughs> Something horrible is happening inside of me and I don't know why. My nightly bloodlust has overflowed into my days. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. And then at the very, very end, he says, my pain is constant and sharp. I do not hope for a better world for anyone. In fact, I want my pain to be inflicted on others. I want no one to escape. So these are very interesting uh, things that maybe show uh, a different kind of psychopath. Because to me, that meant he is in there struggling He's not just Bill Clinton, <laughs> you know, who doesn't really seem to be struggling with, right. with his it, shit. It's funny. Just one thing is that you talk, they mentioned the word mask of sanity, and that's the first ever book that was written by ah. Cleckley called The Mask of Sanity. It was about psychopaths. Um, and uh, uh, so it's interesting now they're actually in, in the movie, uh, uh, presuming the book as well, they're referring in some respects to that term, which is used by the clinicians, you know? Yeah. Um, for that. But you're right. I mean, it's definitely a difference between someone who seems to enjoy it. Like, there's some points in the movie we talked about earlier where it seems like he's getting a kick out of the violence right. or whatever. But I but think that the wanting for other people to feel the pain is mm-hmm. is uniquely non-psychopathic, and I want people to feel like I feel. And there was mm-hmm. when Mike Tyson was in his biggest struggles, and I think he's not a psychopath or a sociopath. He's turned into quite a sweetheart, as it turns out. But there was a time when he make you some cookies <laughs> but he said i want to i want to hurt people so they feel what i feel uh-huh. and that's i think a, a, an abused kid right. who had a, 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 a but not a psychopath so that's why i wonder like mm. do psychopaths real was that an accurate description of a psychopath for him to be saying i want them to feel the inner pain i feel mm-hmm. does that usually the motivation of a psychopath or is it just is that too deep well in my research i found out <laughs> no and i'll let you uh, answer that yeah i mean uh, it, it, again it's difficult to get psychopaths to talk about this in in the context of of uh y- you know uh in the context of them not being in prison you know? right uh that a, a psychopath will make you uh would say that sort of thing to 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 make people feel sorry for them, you know, ah. because they don't really. Again, they're not feeling these feelings that we feel. That sounds like if you were going through that process, you or me, we have feelings, we have emotions, then we would feel torment at that, right? Um, it, it and it would feel very aversive. But the psychopath presumably not feeling that because he doesn't have these feelings, you know. Um, so, um. I mean, they can feel sorry for themselves, obviously. So it's, it is an interesting take on the psychopath in terms of 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 these inner this inner turmoil that he has, right? Um, and does he really is he saying that, or does because 
the the question is is that he could be saying that to himself and then you know two minutes later he's like whistling and you know right well, it could be them. from a literary point of view is yeah. that the job of the author is to make us identify with the character and yeah. care about them. So it could yeah. be just uh, uh, taking artistic license with the actual symptoms of one of these guys so the reader can identify with this person's otherwise I, uh, unidentifiable. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I really got the vibe, I mean, this time specifically when I was watching the movie and trying to analyze stuff, that it really wants us to analyze ourselves yes. and the people around us and why mm. we do the things we do, why we feel the things that we feel and how we can that's why I was trying to get into this whole neuroplasticity stuff and trying to change my own brain because I I don't I not that I really connected with this character but there were certain times where I felt like I, I had all these questions you know like do I am I happy when people fail do I like how competitive am I you know this character trait reminds me of this friend who why is he like that and you know so I, I really enjoyed that they and maybe that is why he had these but, quotes towards the beginning and towards the end where it think, makes you think that I think I think that's a really interesting take on it because you know we all have a bit of psychopath in us, you know, we can see things, we can walk down the street and see a down and out and just ignore them and walk by them or, you know, right. uh, and in some respects that individual is in the worst place that we'd ever want to be ourselves, but we can just walk by them without any feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, you know, we have this ability to switch our emotions off, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's just that, that gradient of that, uh, the space in which they're working with the psychopath is like this, as is like that, you know, yeah. small. So versus large, they, they extend it to everything, and we extend to the things that are select. You know that we select, and we can't feel those emotions all the time. Every time that you get a gig, and one of your friends didn't get the gig, or somebody you know, you, you know, you can't go up to them like cry and say, "I'm so sorry that you didn't get it." <laughs> right, you right. know, not feel happy yourself. There has to be an element in there, I think, to yeah, be able to down you know downplay these emotions ourselves. I think it's yeah, it's probably just an important and maybe a, a overarching like message of the movie and of the book is to keep track is to clock it not just live and be unaware of all these things or be ignorant on purpose but to yeah. actually look in the mirror to analyze your life every day and think okay wait a minute what's appropriate what should i be caring about you know yeah because like you just said i mean you know we've i've in la there's a homeless population you know it's out of control and i think about it all the time you know sometimes it just hits me randomly in the car just in a in a wave of like holy shit i gotta right. what can i do how can i get out there and um and then, for like you're saying, if somebody, I've, I'm not going to feel bad if, you know, I'm in a fortunate situation, somebody's not sometimes. So I think it's really good in art to come away from something like this and actually be putting it into a lot of different aspects of my life. You know, how does this affect me? What can I do to change? How can I be a better person? Mm. Yeah. That, that, that to me is like, oh, this is a great film. You yeah, know, it really stays with you that yeah, way. Deep, yeah, think. don't become a Wall Street guy for starters. <laughs> yeah, don't steal well, a bunch of money from uh, idiots. <laughs> well, this makes this discussion here just makes me think of the indoctrination that the military does when they take in a 19-year-old or whatever, and they have to teach yes. them to be a non-empathetic murderer. Yeah, and then switch gears back when they get home. Oh man, it's like an impossible and transition. They figured it out. They figured out how to turn someone into a willing killer but then the it's quite obvious that they're from the ptsd yes 
explosion that it's not easy to shift gears back. Yes, yeah. no, not at all. It's much easier on the smaller scale of stuff that we deal with than to yeah take it to the extreme like that. I also just briefly wanted to mention uh, hedonism and that I mm-hmm. think it was at its peak apparently in the 80s with these guys. Oh, the guys. Jamaica um, <laughs> vacation spot? <laughs> yeah, no, what is that? <laughs> oh, there's this all-inclusive Jamaican... <laughs> Uh, resort called Hedonism. <laughs> really? Yeah, oh I don't know if it's God. still out there. I got to look that up. That's references that for a few. Cocktail Tom Cruise, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's also like an ancient philosophy of, yeah, yeah, of, 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 of uh, life. Philosophy of life. Yeah, just enjoying everything and you know, not taking things seriously and being drunk and just enjoy your life, uh, which you know got a lot of people in trouble around this time. Gout and liver disease. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and being behind bars and, (laughs) you know, coke. Is it specifically about pursuing pleasure or something? I think pleasure plays a big role in hedonism. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From what I understand, you know, I I can't remember if it was like ancient Greece or ancient Rome. Yeah, there's a philosophy of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and... now I think more than ever it's looked down upon and it's more you know we have to look out for each other and you have to be always trying you know non-profit organization you know if you're rich that people are always looking okay what's your how are you helping out not just enjoying your wealth and enjoying your time on earth right and so what's I just curiously philosophically how do you guys balance that out you know because you want to enjoy your life you want to have good quality of life but I think that there is we come loaded Locked and loaded out of the package with a certain tendency towards wanting to have social responsibility and to care about our group and tell me if I'm wrong. But uh, and it, it just takes a little bit of uh, positive reinforcement to keep that going. And I'll tell you, if when I was walking with this guy, Rob Cohen from Canada, mm-hmm. a comedy guy, and there was a piece of trash on the ground. And he bent over and picked it up and put it in the trash. And I, I thought, well, it's so Canadian of him. You know, they have a better sense of we're all responsible for we're our place here. Yeah. And I think that maybe we've gotten away from that a little bit in in schools. I don't know. I haven't been to elementary school in a while. But I think that there used to be, and in some places there still is a sense of you have a certain amount of responsibility to do the best for the people around you. And, mm-hmm. and even corporations used to have to prove that they had some social value besides looting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, well, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. You know, you often think when you see people like, you know, if I was a billionaire, I'd probably just, you know, buy a house on a beach and just sit there. But, you know, you soon get bored, you know. Right. Um, but, you know, you, I think that a, a lot of the time the people who do have the money and the billionaires, well, they've, they've got to that position because of their work ethic and then and they enjoy that. Right. So I, th- I, I think that... Um, that you know that it's it's a philosophy i think that is makes sense but i think that you know like in america which is not a socialist culture as we know there's a the it seems to me that the more the republican philosophy is that the government shouldn't take my money to help the people i should have the choice to mm-hmm. spend to give my money to charities and whatever uh, and the, the the socialist uh, um philosophy that is you know we have in Britain and, and well in Europe um, it's all about kind of spreading the wealth and um, but also enjoying yourself you know we get um, in the UK we get a lot more time off it's mm. like seven weeks a year mm. um, so it's about like you know, spreading the wealth then uh, and enjoying yourself as well and, and I think as you go places like Denmark or Norway it's even more so Sweden mm. um, than it is in, in Great Britain 
So there's definitely a problem with that within this within the US where there's minimal amount of time that people have off. And if you want to be in a job that's one that's fun, then you're not going to get paid, you know. So right. Uh, uh, so I, I, you know, I just come from a different sort of background in some respects. That that's just really a part of where we come, where uh, of Europe and maybe Canada as well. Yeah. Um, although we've seen that the British uh, Brexit, which is you know shoots that theory completely in the foot. <laughs> but um, so definitely there has to be some form of social responsibility. But you know everyone has the right to have a life which is enjoyable and fun. Yeah. And do everything that they seem as a. A, right, we, and we have socialism for banks and large corporations only. It's <laughs> everyone else is on their own, yeah. no safety net. But if something goes wrong with a giant financial institution, we'll bail them out. They get all the money in the world. Oh like, yeah. Oh, these are too big to fail. Things would be really bad. Yeah. But in fact, if those places were allowed to fail, there would have been much healthier uh, things filling in there. So what we have socialism by sociopaths for psychopaths. <laughs> Welcome to America. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just going to chime in and say that I try to practice uh, like a self-control with with pleasure stuff, like like purposefully limiting things that I, I make me really, really happy because I think it's You're like- You're talking uh, about porn. <laughs> and I'll see you next time, guys. <laughs> Uh, but it's, that's actually not a bad example because, like, you know, okay, you watch porn now and then, fine, everybody does it, it's all cool. Too much of that, too much of a good thing is, like, always a bad thing. Too much chocolate, too much brownies, your body's going to deteriorate, mm-hmm. right? You know, too much TV, you don't have, like, who are you as a person now? You don't experience life. So I, I try to, because I think everything now is just so on demand. Everything is so available all the time now. You know, you can go to the store and buy a bunch of brownies for $2, you know? What are we doing here? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> so I, I really, it's, like, a huge thing for me. I try to, like, purposefully like nope i'm not going to do this thing i'm going to do the more like boring mundane uh shit so that when i have a little piece of that you know pie uh which i haven't had in a month or two it's delicious you know and it makes me so happy uh and i just feel like that was the problem i guess in the 80s or for people that are really rich and just don't practice that because it's just all the time what's the habituation to it it's you know certainly if you're going out to restaurants like the you know top restaurants all the time then you what does get, it matter what anymore? Does it matter? But for most of us, it's just like this is a special occasion. Or yes, you know, right. And, and I want more. that. I want to keep it special. I guess, and I'm worried about you know losing that. And that's so, why I would never want to be a billionaire because I could. You know. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait! Don't just say that. I was going to give you a billion dollars. <laughs> well, no, but there is a, an old expression. I'm sure it's a thousand years old, but too much is the same as not enough. In other words, yeah. there's a poverty of excess that'll fuck you up yeah. just as much as being broke. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, uh, so it's important. But to your thing, I think that having children solves what you're talking about by uh if you just put yourself on the kind of schedule and limitations that you do for children it solves oh i have no choice it's 8 30 gotta go to bed oh, gotta get up this is when we eat this is when we stop eating yeah it's where we get into trouble is this like the, the emptiness of grabbing with no schedule or limitations. Right. Is, and I think that's why a lot of people, maybe even me, when we got out of college, were lost for a while. Like, what now? Mm-hmm. This, this, we had 10-week quarters in the UC system, and these 10-week quarters would, like, rip by. And you're just used to one quarter, 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 quarter. And then you graduate, and you're like, 
in 10 weeks, it's going to be the same as now. There's no midterm. <laughs> there's no final. There's nothing. I got, this is it. Yeah. And so schedules, man, schedules make life just schedule. That's what I, that works for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, you've preached it to me before and it has helped out a lot. I, I'm a list guy. I like to make Plus, a you lot can of, calculate the, you know, if you like to ax murder people, just do it from eight. Yep. To nine. I think a I little only, bit is okay. I only chop heads eight to nine. <laughs> yeah. And then you're going to get more done. <laughs> yeah. Come on, guys. Be reasonable. <laughs> Don't let it get out of control. Um, okay. We're wrapping up, guys. I, is there something, any other points you want to mention about the movie? Uh, what about uh, stuff to promote? Should people take your class? You have a Twitter, something? Uh, can yeah, we just, get into uh, Caltech? What do we have to do first? Yeah. How can we get in there, man? <laughs> yeah. um, well, I want to teach. Uh, I'll, uh, you know, uh, in case of... Uh, Cash, untraceable. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah, easy. No and problem. I might be able to do it, help you out there. <laughs> oh, all right. But um, um, yeah, just my uh, website, my lab website, which is www.deanmobslab.com. Okay. Uh, and if you're interested in reading any research on fear or anxiety, then uh, feel free to go to my website. Okay, fantastic. Tom, Thomas. Well, if you want to watch uh, Clasherama, the Clash of Clan-based cartoon. Yep. Uh, it's on YouTube, and I think you'll uh, enjoy it even more than the game. Yeah, it is very funny. Yeah. I have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it? That's it. Do, <laughs> oh, do, okay. you, have, you, seem do like you have a card? I do. <laughs> I'm going to give them to you. It's bone. You have a, a card. bone I learned as a color It's a finger bone. with a tattoo on it. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay, well, thank you, Tom. Thank, thank you, you, Dean. Thank it's you. It's been delightful, uh, and I hope we all cross paths again. Thanks, guys. See ya. <laughs> Good show. I could talk forever. I'm a blabbermouth. <laughs> Before we turn off the lights here, I wanted to say a couple things. First of all, Willem Dafoe is in this movie, and I just want to go on record saying he rocks. Also, I mentioned lithium earlier in the podcast. Nobody knew exactly what it was for, so I looked it up. Lithium is used to treat the manic episodes of bipolar disorder. It can help stabilize wild mood swings caused by the illness and can reduce the risk of suicide. It works by affecting the flow of sodium through the nerve and muscle cells in the body. It's pretty interesting stuff, but I've never taken it and I'm not speaking from experience. Also, since we're on the topic, if anything in the podcast made you think that you might be a sociopath or a narcissist, or if you think maybe I should do therapy and give it a shot. I would highly recommend it. There's no shame in trying to seek help and talking to a professional will probably affect you in a positive way. So anyway, where was I? This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our social media producers are EJ Gullett and Kate Baker. And the executive psycho producer, who's not psycho at all, he's a great dude, is Brett Kushner. Follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Show and feel free to write us an iTunes review. That helps other people find out about us, which I really appreciate. For anything else, questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, email us, badscience at seeker.com. That's badscience at seeker.com. And I will see you next week when we will be discussing Ice Age. See you later.